Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode five of the Council of Fans podcast. I really appreciate it that we have made it this far to episode five. I know you guys have been enjoying it, and we're happy to carry on making it. And in today's video, we're going actually, in fact, today's podcast, we're going to be discussing our hopes and fears about the show, and also, in general, the talking community's um, opinions, hopes, and fears about the show. And I was on the recent podcast with Voice of Geekdom on his channel and I basically nabbed this from him so thank you to him. But firstly what we're going to do is start with Ken and what is your, start with the positive side, what are your hopes for the show? Um, I just really want it to be serious, I want it to be, you know, I think a lot of cinema today, especially other big franchises, is very very light-hearted. I don't... Uh, like sarcastic humor, winking at the audience, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm not a huge fan of that. I like my drama really serious and really, really gritty. That's. Uh, that's my. It's always interesting because with the Hobbit as well, it was really. I know, Ken, you do like the Hobbit, but sometimes there was a difference between being too serious, but also at the same time trying to be that happy bedtime story that people used to read and do you think amazon what way do you think amazon should go over try as you said go more serious route or try mix between the two like the hobbit did or just go full one way and say we want it to be dead hard serious i should say when i say that the movie should be serious i don't mean that it shouldn't have you humor in it um i think that the seriousness of a movie can only be judged or a tv series in this case can only be judged against just how lighthearted it can get. You know, on the whole, I think the tone should be quite serious. And in The Hobbit, if you look at it as a movie, on the whole, I don't mean like occasional action set pieces or jokes, but on the whole, it is quite serious, especially in the third film and also large parts of the second. Um, it is quite serious and it's actually not only serious, but it's very, very tragic. The main character dies. And it's not a martyric death. It's he dies because of his own missteps. He's 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 sowing the seeds for his own downfall. It's like um, I don't know, like uh, Greek tragedy, really. Um, I like that. Poorly executed, but yes. <laughs> it's another thing we don't see a lot of recently: tragedy. Well, well, on the lines of... Well, with, uh, I mean, there's plenty of tragedy in the Second Age, so, I mean, whether they focus on the early epoch, epoch well, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm sure a good chunk of the elves should die in Aragon if uh, they focus on the latter epoch. I mean, in the Last Alliance, I mean, isn't Isildur basically, like, the only named curse? Well, well I guess you got Elrond and... Sirdan, and but aren't there just like three named survivors of that whole conflict? Yes. So I mean, yeah, there's there, we got we got we got uh, plenty of tragedy here. So I think we should. Yeah, be good. In, in my opinion, we did see tragedy in the Hobbit. It was just again poorly executed, and that's the thing with tragedy. If you don't execute it properly, it's really sort of almost no longer tragedy. I think the tragedy is executed very well, and I was actually going to say that. In terms of depicting tragic characters like Celebrimbor, Thorin is an absolutely excellent example of how to do it right. Because A, he 
does have a lot of sympathetic characteristics, especially early on. He's heroic. You know, he's a good leader and all that sort of thing. And yet there are, it's not so much of quote-unquote tragedy today. It's not tragedy, it's martyrdom. By which I mean, you look at something like Avengers, and the recent, um, yeah, Avengers is a good example. Let's go with that. And the death in that of Tony, spoilers, is it's not tragic because it's, it's triumphant in having died. You know, his death is the result of the acts of the villain. True tragedy is when a character has a flaw. And, you know, that flaw leads them um, to the downfall. And, uh, like, uh, and Thorin has that. You know, he's proud. He's angry. He's very, very, like, dwarves' first policy. Um, uh, and I think there's, as... both in the case of um, Feely's death and Thorin's death, there were two reasons why why I didn't really think it was a tragedy. One being that it was uh, the characters were not that well developed, in my opinion. I did not feel close to them at all. They weren't relatable or anything like that to me. And um, in the second, I felt like the deaths were sort of anticlimactic, mostly in the case of Thorin, because it really seemed like Aslog was dead and he should not have been able to come right back out of the ice and kill Thorin. So to me, it felt like... Um, you know, let's just say instead of doing what he did, Peter Jackson decided to make Thorin get struck down by Eru Iluvatar. That wouldn't really be a tragedy. It would just be really awkward and completely random. So I feel like the same sort of thing happened with Azog. He just sort of came busting out of the ice miraculously and killed him. Yeah, okay. I mean, the, the moment of the death, I think it is, it is important, but I think what's important is like, the path to it, because it's not like, oh, he was a really good guy and then he died. So, so uh, if we can move, the, if we can take a lesson from The Hobbit and apply it to Amazon, for me, the biggest th big, the <clears throat> big issue that I see in The Hobbit, which was present to a degree in Lord of the Rings, and it felt like it increased in the adaptation, uh, increased in Lord of the Rings, but it was really overwhelming, the experience to me in The, the Hobbit was the tone was just kind of inconsistent. It would be too lighthearted, then it would be too serious. And the back and forth between those two extremes, you never really got comfortable. Uh, you know, an example Hen likes to use uh, as the, you know, for, for Lord of the Rings and what this show should feel like is kind of like Braveheart. It was generally very serious, very mature, with moments of levity thrown in there to... Yeah, really, really uh, to... Yeah, and uh, so you know that's kind of what I, I wanted. To, I want them to pick a tone and stick to that, and then use humor and other and other techniques to either heighten that. You know, to you know, it's kind of it's kind of like seasoning when uh, in a meal. Too much of it, it's going to yeah. overwhelm the experience. Too much, it's going to be bland. Too little, and it's going to be bland. So you have to find a balance, and I don't feel like the Hobbit ever found that balance. So let's hope that Amazon finds that balance and. Because I'm afraid of I'm afraid of what happens if they don't do that. I think the reason why it was so bad in The Hobbit is because it was originally written as a children's tale. So Peter Jackson was trying to make it still the children's book, but then, as you see in the last film, which is rated R in the extended version, it's 
goofy, and even the combat, even the somewhat grisly combat scenes are goofy, which is really weird because it's one thing to have goofy here and a serious and what some people might consider grisly over here, but when you put the two together in the same scene, it looks really, really awkward. But that's yeah, enough about... That's a good point, too. Just on its own, I mean, the, the R rating thing. I I would like for this to be quite violent. I, I would like, in the battle scenes, I mean, in fighting and that sort of thing. Show... I, would like it to be I agree, but like, I don't want Sauron to die and then Isildur and Elrond start breaking up and giggling. Yeah, so sure. like, there, there can be comedy and grisly and action, and I'd love lots of action. I think that would be really good, but it just can't be mixed together. Or I guess it can be mixed together, but it has to be less comedy and more violence, or whatever the perfect ratio is for the specific scene. Yeah. yeah, but another thing that um, we'll go back to the start when Ken was talking about um, the seriousness of the show, and I think that a, per- a character that will majorly be affected by if it's serious or not is in fact Anita, okay, Sauron, because if we have if we have a serious show, we maybe could see Anita in a different light, but if the show is, of course, maybe more light hearted. It might maybe do a bit of an injustice to Sauron. So, what's everyone's opinions on uh, Anatan Sauron in general, first of all, as a hope or fear? I don't, I guess, as a fear, I don't want Sauron to be just completely simplistic. I want to be in charge. Uh, you know, if you've read the history of Middle Earth, Morgoth's Ring, you get this very interesting portrait of Sauron at the start of the Second Age as a guy who is almost repentant. Uh, Maybe even if out of fear, but he's almost repentant. He's left in Middle Earth, and he starts to fall back into his own ways. I think it would be interesting if they took that character and said, and with his motivation is, okay, well, you know, Morgoth failed. Uh, Let me see if I can do one better. You know, we're working, you know, with these weakened-based orcs. Let's see if I can if I can get elves on my side. They're pretty powerful. They're pretty great. How can I get them to trust me? I know. Well, what if I control them, their leaders for their own good as puppets, in order to build a paradise on Earth that's far better than anything the Valar could do? And then over the years, as each setback keeps mounting, he loses sight uh, building paradise for the good of the people on Earth. And, or on Arda, excuse me, which, well, is Earth, technically, but that's besides the point. And uh, eventually power becomes his, you know, his, his goal. You know, he goes from, well, his ends justifying his means to the means becoming his end. And that could, that could be an interesting journey for him. I don't want him to be simple. I don't want him just to be, I will rule the world from the start. I just need to trick people. He needs to at least delude himself into believing he, whether he believes it or it's him deluding himself, he wants, he should think he has the best intentions of the people at heart. You know, example of a mega, what should be a megalomaniacal villain done well, I think is uh, Thanos in the Avengers movies. Okay. Yeah. You know, you know, I know your feelings on the Marvel movies, but a uh, but you know, at least you're like I, you're like I don't I don't I don't agree with it, but I can see why he thinks that. Yeah, that's a good character. No, I agree. That's a good. I that's a good way to do it. It it would be very tricky to do Sauron because, you know, 
those kinds of characters you can so easily you can so easily kind of mystify them because what what have we seen of Sauron really um not much and what we he's have a, he... what we have seen is in the kind of basically the devil um and so doing it as a person who is in scenes talking to people you know it'd be tricky it would be we've talked about this before i remember um it's really kind of um and it's not a bad example actually of how to do this it's kind of revenge of the sith this whole premise um like really like almost down to 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 some of the finer points and uh well he should he should have some points in that the elves are fading that looks like middle earth is left to itself i mean his message should should be appealing to the elves so i mean let's just consider for a fact that you know in all versions of her story galadriel always re rejected you know the out, the advances and didn't trust anatar but in the end she till still accepted a magic ring and used that to great effect so she at least liked the message even if she didn't quite trust the messenger i think sauron should mostly be enigmatic slightly um i know that he's definitely not an enigma but uh, he is a little bit mysterious and i hope um there's not many things i want the show to pull from the mandalorian but one thing i did like about the mandalorian was um whatever the protagonist's name is he was mysterious and he was always climactic he always he was sort of predictable kind of like a hobbit but um he had these traditions and he kept by them. And I want to see Sauron sort of in the same light, but not exactly. Not necessarily with traditions and stuff like that. But I want to see him be sort of the figure in black in the corner. Um, and well, so it'll I don't be think... sort of from his perspective, but as he sees other people. I think Sauron, his motivations should be uh, <clears throat> plain by what he's doing and how he's doing that. But uh, his attitude, you know, I mean, I never want them to have some exposition on what he thinks at any time. I think over the course yeah. of the series, you should see that arc that he goes through, but it's never explained, you know. Exactly. I've, yeah. I've had this I've had this idea of how Mordor and we know that only the that northwest portion of Mordor was, you know, a volcanic hellscape. The rest was basically farmland fed from those volcanic nutrients. But uh, I'm thinking Mordor should originally be kind of like a semi-arid you know semi-arid desert i'm thinking something kind of like they you know, could it would be great yeah yeah a drier climate and then as he gets more and more into i want power i have to win to achieve that power that's when it morphs into the volcanic hellscape when it's been polluted by his military machine for so long that nothing can grow there and we yeah. need to see just like you just said, um, we need to see him through his actions, not through some dramatic monologue. Yes. Yes. Uh, let's keep and, exposition dumps to a minimal. And we have hopes and we have fears. And then we then I have something I haven't talked about yet. We have ridiculous. And I know people out the wondering now are my friends. And, and I know Hope Justin is, I know he's a nice guy, but he said that he hopes that in the show, Sauron has a love relationship with Galadriel. If Amazon, and I think he could saying he wants it to be like um, Lord of the Rings meets Riverdale or something like that. So if anything ridiculous like that does happen. So first of all, I'm sure we're, 
most of us are against stuff like that because the point on the young gladual for example so he was talking about oh why do we just have a relationship then with Sauron with Anatar and then and then have some drama going between them I think if I know it's really unlikely but if Amazon did do anything like that but I highly doubt it at the same time but it is even ridiculous thinking about it having having probably just it's it's so crazy thinking how Anatar can get into a love relationship with Gladwell. Then imagine all the nudity things that might come out of it. Oh my god! Hey, gotta get, I, gotta, I, get I, the, gotta get I, the, gotta get that hot elf Maya action if you know what I'm saying. Uh, no, please. I I really hate that interpretation of Sauron. I'm sure. I, I don't know if this is the exact terminology Tolkien used. I'm pretty sure it is, but um. Sauron or Anatar was seductive, but Tolkien did not mean it in the sexual sort of way that so many people, especially artists, have been interpreting it. Like, a lot of people think that Morgoth seduced, literally, Sauron into doing evil, which sort of makes which me is, cringe, especially which, when you see well, all the I mean, art he, about he, he that. Does, he, doesn't, he doesn't say that Sauron was seduced. He's, I mean, I think uh, we'll list Sauron as a mini Maya that he was seduced into his service but then in Morgoth's ring you see that Sauron joined up with him because he's like yeah this Morgoth guy he gets shit done I like that I hate waiting around for stuff to happen and but regardless uh, of that people still think Sauron's um well I mean people it's, shit, hard, it's hard to put I, it lightly I, but he's deviant, deviant, a, a art is, deviant art is called deviant art for a reason and basically they ship everyone together so you know let's not get carried away with these yeah. interpretations because they'll do it for oh i don't know santa claus and his elves you know i'm thinking of ridiculous examples here i think about it, that most, actually happened the, the most the beautiful man with Anita. Know, I, mean, all there. I i find any sort of relationship with Sauron to be just like a frodo and sam relationship it's just unfounded and doesn't really make sense and sort of abhorrent to the lore well, well i mean you already have a love triangle there you've got uh Celebrimbor, Celeborn and Galadriel. So I mean, yeah. that's a that's that should be enough drama. I mean, yeah. imagine being imagine that can be the love triangle. And, Just yeah, don't make immortal. it a love rectangle and throw Sauron in the mix. That would be horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Imagine being immortal, and it's you know, so one, your crush is never going to die. Two, if she's an immortal being, she's always going to be hot. So it's not like you can hope at your high school reunion you see her and she's gained twenty pounds. You know, I don't know twenty two hundred pounds. You're like, okay, well. All well, right. Well, I, 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 still I, get I, fat. I guess I dodged a bullet there, you know. But I don't think we've ever heard of a fat elf, but I'm sure they. Well, no, I'm sure they don't exist, but they could exist. Just yeah, to play possibly. devil's advocate, just think about it. You're in the boardroom for Amazon, thinking about the show. Anita, this beautiful man, then Galadriel, the most beautiful um elf woman in probably in Arda in Middle Earth at that time. But of course, we all hope. But that's enough about um, gladial relationships and shipping Anatar with him. Because just like to put the statement now, we do not want that. But yeah, let's yeah. move on now and back. Go back to Khen again. So we've seen your hope. It is about probably the potential tone and seriousness of the show. But now, what's your fear? Fear is very simple, um, and it's to do with, you know, skipping time in the show. I think a lot of people 
like have this notion of oh it's in the second age so it has to be about the second age and it will cover the entirety of the second age and i don't think that's a very good idea at all because one of the things that it leads to would be for big time jumps because if you look at the way that the second age is constructed it has two kind of epochs really one of them uh, starts around uh, the year 15,000, uh, 1500 of the Second Age. It's about the forging of the rings. Um, and the other starts like 2,300 something, um, I think, when um, there's. 3,000. 3,300. 3, You're yeah. talking about the, la uh, the Great Armament and the Last Alliance, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. So, so there's a coup in. Numenor and Sauron is taken captive and um, nice 1500 year gap there yeah it's huge and I, I think it would be very very bad to introduce a whole cast of characters and let's be honest a large part of them isn't going to, aren't going to be elves um, and then say but then they all died and now we have this new portion of the cast with the story starting from scratch I don't think that's in the community, a lot of people want potentially an anthology series and have this or set then subtitled for this first season and skipping it. So exactly. I mean, I think, I think that I had this when this was first announced and, uh, you know, we had lots and lots of fun on the subreddit when we all put together our various plans and... An idea that I had was basically, you know, like anthologies, you know, with different seasons, basically telling different stories that were kind of related. And, you know, I had an idea that you could have a story set sometime between those two epochs of the ages. And that's set in the East when, or the South when Numenorans are becoming imperialistic. Sauron gives out rings to the men. You know, there's a lot of stories that you can tell, but, you know... <clears throat> The, my fear is with you know people will see that massive gap, that massive you know two thousand year conflict, and try to reduce it to the span of a decade or less. Like, you know, Sauron is supposed to be this huge existential threat to Middle Earth to such an extent that three thousand years later, at the end of the Third Age, even you know the in insular provincial hobbits have heard the name of Sauron and Mordor and, and don't understand but understand it, but they know that it's something of dread and terror. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, <clears throat> yeah, sure, uh, the Nazi war machine was huge and terrible, but in all in all, it was only around for, <clears throat> Nazi Germany was only really around for 15 years, give or take some, you know? But you've got to be careful not to confuse new viewers. Just like with the Eagles, I made a video on that recently explaining very, very briefly why it couldn't happen. But um, if you explain too much, then you have to explain a whole lot more. Because just like with the Eagles, um, they were talking about different ways they may or may not have been able to take it to Mount Doom. And a lot of people were thinking about the Eagles. So if you dig a little bit too deep into the lore, then you're going to have to dig a whole lot deeper into the lore to explain all the plot holes that people are going to think exist, which in reality sure. don't. So sure. there's like a little gray area between uh, not dipping your hand into the lore enough and dipping your hand way too far into the lore. Very, very thin gray area, and you have to hit it right there. 
Well, I mean, one of the things that I was original that interests me about the kind of anthology series with time jumps is we've never really seen immortality in a transient world, you know, seen that properly, you know, really depicted. And that's what the elves give you. I mean, you understand their motivation. You, you, yeah, sure, you can say this guy's immortal, but it's something to see uh, the same character popping up in the stories and see their perspective on time and the transient people. I, I think there's something really interesting that could be done with their perspective. I mean, imagine, you know, if, if you've ever had a dog or a cat, you know, raise your hand. And, you know, I've had several in my life. And you have them, you love them. And then, you know, eight to 12 years or longer, uh, depending on the breed, they'll die. And so, you know, you love them, but they're also transient. That's how, you know, elves, or at least the more noble elves, look at mortals. We haven't really seen that on screen. I think this would be a real opportunity to do that. I mean, I, I just don't want them to compress the whole, you know, conflict of the Second Age down to just a few years. That's true, yeah. Also, the one back to I think, what I think, he was saying is um, they can have sort of time jumps. So it would still explain a long period of time, but if they just keep sort of along the same plot line and only have like, I don't know, one, two different plot lines, uh, subplots, I should say, in each season, then they can explain just enough to not have to explain a ton more. Yeah. Yeah. I also think with, with the anthology idea, people, I would see like these nice lists of like season one would be this and season two would be that. And they would be separated by a couple of hundred years each. And um, the issue with that is I don't want something like the forging of the rings and the war between the elves and Sauron to be a single season of eight episodes. I think you could tell it on a much, much longer form and actually delve into, you know, like the character drama, the kind of like politics that's going on, like take your time with it, tell it with patience. That's what I've always struggled with. Cause I feel like you, you could create, I feel like it would be easier to make five seasons of the last Alliance, the Akalabeth more far easier to do that in five seasons. I don't know. I mean, that still feels like a lot or, to stretch out there but i don't feel like how i don't see how you can do five seasons of the forging of the ring is culminating in the battle of the Gwaithlo. uh i mean i can see that done in three seasons but five that just seems like a whole lot of stuff well, to invent i'm still operating it's... on the assumption that it's five seasons and that can change we've got more than enough evidence to believe that it will occur over the time period of 1600 second age uh just there, there's a lot of evidence. It's all sort of scant, but put together, I would bet a good bit of money that it will take place during that time. Yeah, it still seems like a whole lot of stuff to do in five seasons. Unless you, yeah. even, even if you bump up the, the, the story of Alderan and Arendus, there's a lot to do there. So that ties into another fear, which is how much stuff are they going to have to create for this? And the answer is already a lot, but, you know, the worst part... The worst parts of The Hobbit, which we can generally agree, was when Tol when Jackson went off script and started inventing his own stuff to flush out the narrative. Which is why 20 episodes a season would be 
um, horrific. And I know people, and I even see people online say, oh, I wish it's 20 episodes, but then 20 episodes, five seasons. If I'm masters of filming, oh, 100 episodes. We see what happened with Viking, the 89 episodes in, it was so boring. And I'm not saying the filler may not be boring, but it's filling so much made up stuff. And as Penguin rightly said, though that was the main, one of the main downfalls for, um, The Hobbit was just all these extra things Jackson created. But moving on now, and I, I like to target this at Penguin. If you had to tell me three of the biggest Tolkien themes, what would they be? Uh, the three? Oh, man. Uh, the one so that Penguin comes into spot. my mind, the one that comes into my mind, it, a couple of things. The one, the movie played lip service to this one, which is all we have to do is decide what to do at the time given to us. And, you know, everyone loves that quote of Jack's uh, Gandalf. I see it all over, you know, you see tattoos of it, you see it uh, on t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. Well, the problem is in the current, in the movies, very rarely do people live up to that. You know, they vacillate, they do the wrong thing. And then finally, when the narrative, or finally, they're either forced to do something or they exhaust their options, they're either by someone else or they exhaust their options, or the, they finally do it when the narrative literally requires them to be gung-ho and enthusiastic about their decision. You know, whereas in the books, everyone kind of calmly sits and evaluates the options and say, all right, well, this is what we're going to do, Council of Elrond. So many times people sit around and talk and decide, well, okay, we're going to ride west to fight Saruman. Oh, no. We can't fight Saruman. Let's retreat because we're outnumbered. But they make willful, thoughtful decisions on what they're going to do. Uh, so I want to see that element there. People actually looking at the options, deciding what, what they're going to do and how they're going to do it and why, as opposed to constantly fleeing from responsibility like they do in the movies. Maybe that makes for hiding drama in the, in the movie. I don't know, but it's irritating for me to watch it irritating for me to watch theoden go from a weak helpless old man into a uh, under control of ceremony into a weak helpless old man under his own free will uh so that's one of the things i want to see the other thing that is on the top of my mind is is power and basically how power will c corrupt and ultimately undo whoever deliberately seeks seeks it uh Picking on the movies a bit, one of the weaknesses of the movies is that, to me, is that using the ring was never a realistic option. Uh, they basically said, nope, we can't use it, only Sauron can, so that means we have to destroy it. Well, in the book, that was an option that they could have used. Boromir could have seized the ring and been in effect to, you know, used it to uh, potentially save Gondor. Uh, we know Galadriel could have used it and defeated Sauron militarily. Of course, we know Gandalf could have seized the ring, seized its true power away from Sauron, and of course, uh, become the new Dark Lord in its place. Is it because the, the ring itself is evil and corrupt? Yeah, to an extent, but there's also the idea that the exercise of such power is going to eventually warp you. Uh, one of the most unrealistic characters I've always felt like in all of fiction has been Professor X, who can read minds and mind control but you would think that over the years you would be tempted to use this to gain little advantages the little advantages and before you know it you're mind controlling all your mind controlling people 
Because, you know, with each exercise of that power, the next one becomes that much easier and that much easier. And that's kind of how the ring operates. So I want to see, you know, the negative effects of that power. And the big thing is, is that Amazon don't abandon these important themes of Tolkien, which, of course, could come under as a fear. But moving on now, unless does anybody have... um. Any fine? I think we haven't done it. You haven't said your personal um, fear. What What would yours be? Um, the show being politicized. But um, before I get into that, I need to talk about the essence of Tolkien's works. So uh, Tolkien once said um, in a letter, I believe, "The Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. Unconsciously so at first, but consciously in the revision." That is why I have not put in or have cut out practically all references to anything like religion, to cults, or practices in the imaginary world, for the religious element is absorbed into the story and the symbolism. And what I like so much about that quote is that Tolkien did not try to make a statement about his beliefs, nor try to persuade others to conform to his ideology and theology, despite being strongly Catholic, though it did naturally seep into his works. Um... And I'm afraid, fully aware that others are as well, um, the show will be political. And my reasoning is, for the most part, um, I don't I don't see how the show can make it political when Tolkien himself did not make his own works political. And in an interview, Chris Tolkien once said that uh, his father's world existed entirely in secondary belief, which is like the imaginary belief, whereas the primary belief was like the world that you and I live in today. And Tolkien did not bring the struggles of our world into his world, even though they were both imperfect and they both did have their struggles. Well, um, when we say when you say politics, you mean modern contemporary politics. Yes, anything anything vaguely considered politics or really just any struggle of our time. And using the show for any type of propaganda, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, right, left, either way, um, it would definitely be a disgrace to Tolkien. But these beliefs aside, people should not be judging the show before it comes out, as they have been, I think, especially people on the right. Um, maybe some people on the left, too. I think it's mostly people on the right sort of really, really freaking out about it. I've gotten some comments, a lot of comments about it. And they should not be freaking out. And as I said in a tweet uh, recently, we should boycott after, not before. And, I mean, yeah, I'm totally down for a boycott, but we should definitely wait to see how the show plays out before we take any sort of aggression towards it, which is what people have been doing. Well, you, and, see, um, you, you see people freaking out about, oh, how, what, what they think Amazon, no, or how they think Amazon is doing this when they have no idea what, Am what Amazon is even doing. Yeah, don't, yeah. and it's all just don't. rumors, and there are parties, which will go unnamed, but you can probably guess them, that will benefit from stirring up controversy. I have done that to some degree, just a very small degree. I just sort of put out a potential controversy out there, um, and people did react to it in negative and positive ways, uh, both for me and in their own sort of opinions. Um, but people are definitely reacting poorly to it. Yeah. And additionally, there is a reason why Tolkien didn't shove Catholicism down the reader's throat, and that's because 
It just wouldn't have worked. He would have never converted anyone, or at least the majority of people, to Catholicism because they were probably already firm in their beliefs and would have just been annoyed and brushed it off. That's what I would have done if someone tried to convert me to, like, Buddhism or something of the sort. And just the same, if someone doesn't have the same beliefs as the ones stated in the show, I guarantee you that person won't change their mind just because it's in a TV show. Unless uh, the viewer is a young child, in which case the propaganda, so to speak, would be far more effective, but again, that's kind of immoral trying to um, change a child's mind like that. And um, a kid, it's not really a kid's property, isn't is it? Like yeah. I, the Lord of the Rings, we've talked about this before, but the Lord of the Rings, it's really not a family movie. It isn't really. Um, well, I but I would argue that a lot, a lot of families did watch it and. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's it's definitely not intended to be one, but it is. It's sort of it's like a movie for everyone, and children especially are very keen about movies and younger people. So a large portion of the audience, whether it was intended to be or not, would be younger children. And like, uh, you you see this sort of thing in Disney movies. They will put their own beliefs into it and sort of kind of get the children to grow up around it. But again, that's not the topic. So I just hope um, Amazon does not politicize the show. There's really no reason to. Tolkien didn't do it himself. So it would be sort of disrespectful to him if they did it. Well, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's kind of uh, losing sight of the fact that, you know, if you do if you if we do have a you know people inject modern politics it will be from a particular slant when you look at the uh what the what the various writing team and production team is sharing on their various personal twitters and i think when you do something like that you know sure you risk uh, alienating half of your potential audience which is never smart from a business perspective uh, but, you know, some of them might not care and say, oh, well, those people are all insert whatever derogatory term, term you have for them to begin with. Then the second issue is that you kind of forget the fact that one of the reasons why Tolkien is so beloved, you know, now, now and today, you know, how many 70 years after Lord of the Rings has been published is because every just about everyone can read that and find some message or find something in there that they love and adore. Uh, you know, if you, you know, you can find it, environmentalism, you can find conservative things, you can find progressive things, you can find people, you know, arguing about how the Shire represented one form of political theory. And people say, well, really, because I see that, read this, and I see the complete opposite. And you go back and forth. So if you try to ham fist uh, particular political messages into it, you're going to lose the essence of the work. Now, the challenge of the second age in particular is that there's really not a narrative in there. Uh, so it's really a bunch of a bunch of settings. And so even if you're not consciously trying to do that, it can still very easily come across, uh, come through in the work. I believe that I yeah. think through Amazon right now, I'm looking at them because the head of um, Prime Video is Jennifer Solke, I believe that's her name. And I, of course, follow her on Instagram. And I believe two days ago, she posted that an article that was, I think, was a really like a good company, uh, probably a reputable company. Wrote, and the title was Amazon Studios is surprisingly the best place to 
um it was the best um and most encouraging place to use and show black actors and actresses and it looks like that amazon from that and then she, she did retweet it and was um of course proud of it and of course is a proud thing of course because you're trying to get in, in lots of their different shows and movies they implement diversity which is of course I mean, of course, there's a debate about is that for in Tolkien. We'll probably get into that later, but it looks like they are from the from the top. It, they do look like they want to be a progressive company, and it is interesting whether we will see this or not in the show. But of course, as um Gallifrey and Tolkien referred to earlier, that we can't judge it yet. But the signs is the interesting thing. The signs from even from that, so made up article on the head of uh, Amazon Studios is tweeting and happy about it is interesting. Maybe we'll see more progressive things. Maybe they'll stop it and maybe not do it just for talking. We won't know. Yeah. And in addition to what I just said, I'm also really afraid of corny action scenes um, in the past. And well, even right now, I do martial arts and I'm no by no means like a martial arts expert, especially in Hollywood. But I know enough, and probably all of you do, regardless of what you've done in the past, a lot of the action scenes are corny and should not have played out that way. And that's sort of the second thing that I'm afraid of. Not nearly as afraid of it, but I just do hope that they have accurate action scenes. And they don't necessarily need to be 100% accurate. Oh, this is how it would have worked. Oh, physics. They don't need to take into place all those factors, but they should try to make it not corny like it is in The Hobbit. What I really liked about The Lord of the Rings is that, for the most part, all of the action scenes were devoid of spins. Like in Star Wars, they'll do five flips and two spins and whatever, whatever else, a double jump, something like that, just to deliver one stroke, and it's really ridiculous. You need to watch the Jedi Party series on YouTube, and basically it's just, they redub the entire Star Wars, change the story, but all the lightsaber fights are now dance parties and dance-offs. So uh, with all the flips, it you know makes perfect sense. But yeah, I agree. Uh, one of the things that's always bothered me about just medieval movies in general, ranging from Braveheart to Lord of the Rings, uh, I saw this recently in The Witcher, and you know I'm not, uh, and, you know I'm sure there's countless other examples. Is when the two medi- medieval armies charge at e- each other from across the field, and then it turns into an all-out brawl, and somehow the good guys, who are a much smaller, under-equipped army, comes out on top and you think wait a second they're fighting either breaking rank they're fighting yeah. guys armed to armed and arm armored to the teeth and you're basically and somehow you come and with and they have two times as many and you win no in real life that'd be an absolute massacre you know if you're under equipped you'd be to quick use, too yeah it would be and quick and so you that's want something people to- that i love about tolkien um actually a while ago probably a couple of years ago i learned that the battle of helm's deep and i'm not sure exactly how true this is i'm pretty sure it's true um, I can't verify it though, and I have not tried to yet. But I heard that the Battle of Helm's Deep was actually um, based off of the Battle of Rhodes, which was, um, I think, it was a war in the Crusades occurring um, in an island, Rhodes, Rhode Island. No, I'm not sure exactly where it was, um, but it was a stronghold being assaulted by um, another king. And Tolkien was a historian in addition to being a philologist. And all of his actions, well, he didn't really have action scenes, so to speak. Um, He sort of did. But all of his action was well thought out, and it was accurate, which was really, really nice. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, if you if you, if any of you haven't, any of you guys and the listeners haven't read the blog post where a military historian breaks down the he does the Battle of Pelennor Fields and then he does Helm's Deep, just comparing and contrasting the movies based on real military tactics, strategies, operations, logistics. It's a fascinating read. Uh, Hen, you'd probably really enjoy this one as well if you haven't seen it. Uh, but yeah, you know, make the com- make the combat realistic, and uh, you know, for, you know, for example, not uh, pull any punches here, or not uh, you know, poke at other fun franchises. But you know, when I see watch a movie and I see you know a ninety five pound stick thin women punch out a two hundred and forty pound you know Russian special ops guy, I'm just like, yeah, I don't buy that. I mean, I'm a fairly fit guy for you know mid 30s uh workout and you kind of realize you know there's and with a wife who's you know much smaller than me and you know if you know push came you know been a physical alter altercation there's not a whole lot that you could do to actually hurt me and so i you know people if the undersized people are going to fight uh then let them fight smart in ways that you actually make sense you know it's always weird to me seeing Scarlett Johansson, you know, beat up some guy that much bigger than her. Yeah. And another thing that bugs me about combat is when someone's getting punched in the face, say, two, three, four times, or even one time, and then they sort of come back and beat the other person up. And I've not been punched in the head too hard. I've been punched in the head pretty hard. And it hurts a lot. And it's really hard to come back into a fight um, when you get punched in the head, at least you know, one time, um, I can't imagine I would be getting punched in the head two times by someone whose adrenaline is pumping and they want to kill you. Um, I can't imagine coming back and trying to beat them up and actually succeeding. I want to do No, I was just saying again, I think the action should be like, I think one of the things that helps is making it really, really violent, but it should also be fairly grounded as well at the same time. But yeah, making it violent always helps. <laughs> I just think the best way to summarize um the the like how, for example, Woman Warriors, for example, I want to go into the show and I want the show to establish that okay, women are fighters or not try persuade me for five seasons and try send the message that women can be fighters. I want to go into the show knowing that women can be fighters, which means they can maybe, if they are really, really good enough, they, and I know Ping said it's hard to beat up like a 400 pound man with strength, but I want them to have the same flaws as men warriors do, because I think in probably movies and shows right now, the flaws of probably the big women warriors are, are just non-existent, not non-existent, but just not even there. And I believe I want, yeah, that she can go beast on us. But I also want to see her maybe lose that as well. Makes sense. So I want, I think the great to summarize is that I want to go into it knowing that this woman, warrior, for example, I don't know, some random new name character. Yeah, she might be able to beat out the man, but she should also be able to lose to this person as well and have that equality. And I also want that that man, I want you to be that, that person and more so at the same time, I want you to also do that person. I think, I know even women, uh, women, um, don't like this phrase, quote, strong women. That, cause with that quote, you're referring, you're implying that they're weak women. You don't normally say strong men. So I know people say, oh, 
I want to be a strong woman, for example, quote, but just stuff like that in general. I think, um, of course, we have no clue what Amazon is actually going to do regarding that. But there is there is precedent. Well, I wouldn't say precedent because uh, Tolkien and Laws and Customs of the Eldar says that, you know, there were uh, female elven warriors. I don't I don't remember how common it was. Uh, it's something that he wrote about, but actual in the narratives themselves, uh, as far as I know, the closest we ever get of an elven people and warrior is, uh, I'm not even going to attempt the pronunciation here. I don't want to embarrass myself, but the daughter, was it the daughter or sister of uh, Turgon and Gondolin? And that's how she was caught. What is it? it you're talking about Adrian or you're talking about her aunt? I can't remember anymore. Yeah, I think it's Eredril. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, that's the closest we see now Then he also describes Galadriel being of Amazon disposition. But once again, there's no real examples of her fighting. Well, I guess we have the, in the appendices, it says, oh, she cast down the walls of Dol Dol Goldor. And you can either see, well, she did it, or you can also read that in the sense that Aragorn rode into Mordor and routed the remaining defenders of Sauron. You know, that could just be him leading the army. You know, either way. So, you know, but there is a precedent for that for elves outside of Eowyn. I'm not sure how many there are for women. uh, Other than the people of Haleth, I guess. Anyways. Very early on in the Legendarium, there are a couple of queens who actually fought in battles and such. Um, I don't remember any names. Um, yes, but there are some, but typically not so much in the Second Age. I guess it's just because there's so little said in the Second Age that there wouldn't be much said about specific warriors that don't come into play uh, throughout yeah. the entirety of the Second Age or who aren't super important. Yeah, ultimately, you know, the Second Age is setting, so they have a lot of freedom to do what they want. But, you know, so, you know, female, female warriors, great. I want, I want to believe that this person can fight effectively. And it's not, not, not the 90-pound bombshell and armor, you know? Yeah. Something about Galadriel, because I think it's fairly likely that she is going to have a combat role. Yes. Um, to me, it does not make too much sense, because she went... This was, of course, not in the Second Age, but she did study with Melion and. She didn't learn how to fight. She made Limbus, and uh, she learned magical stuff, and she became very, very wise. Much wiser than, uh, I think, most of the men, and she's definitely the wisest elf, aside from maybe Glorfindel in the uh, Third Age. But well, it's just not very likely that she spent that much time uh, training for combat. We don't really see any of that in the lore. Uh, there's a meme that if all the elves in the first age just listen, there's a meme that says in the if all the elves in the first age listen to their husbands would have been a much shorter and less eventful uh, book. <laughs> but I oh, think sorry. one thing listen about... to their, listen, if all if all the elves listen to their wives, sorry, I messed that up. Yeah, was... You guys got the point. Yeah, yeah I got it. <laughs> is the thing about I want to see glad is also her political side as well because. She didn't want to leave. She wanted to stay in Middle-earth. She had these ambitions. And maybe, and I think talking to you correctly talks about um, maybe the physical side maybe a bit too far because she did say in an interview that the physical side of it has been quite um, like a bit, a bit of a strain for us. I think that was an, um, I don't think that was the direct quote, but maybe seeing the political side of her in 
and um Origi going to be great and seeing the dynamic with Calibrimbo and and um even Gilgalad etc. Yeah, that's the thing I'm most looking forward to. I think that would be the the center of it. Like you have okay, it's like this. So you have Calibrimbo kind of in the middle. You have Galadriel and Anatar are on opposite sides. Um and they're kind of trying to sway people of Origi on um, um, the guild of the Brimbor, the Brimbor himself. You know, it's kind of like it's a kind of tug of war type thing. Very, very interesting. We haven't had much of that in the films. A little bit, but not, nothing like this, where it's really kind of political and ends up with Galadriel being, I believe, cast out. It would be a really interesting dynamic. But I think another thing that we could actually touch... Oh, can I say... Yeah, go on. Politics exists in Lord of the Rings narrative. It's just in the background because it's primarily through the point of view of the hobbits. But you get a glimpse of the politics at play between Aragorn, Denethor, Boromir, <coughs> etc. Wow. But it's not at the forefront. It's in the background, but it's there. There's bits. There's little bits. There's also, I know, like, the negotiations between... Thorin, Frandul, and Bard, their politics, it's a relatively small part of the narrative. It's mostly adventure in the sense of a quest. And this is the first time where we're getting something completely different. It's just people kind of vying for it, vying for power, um, for influence, I should say, but perhaps very interesting. That way, it is very much like Game of Thrones in that specific way. Um, interesting. Well, I would like to see a whole lot of Galadriel's character, especially with her pride. Um, sort of like how we see um, Sauron almost repent, I think we should see Galadriel get uh, that prideful. But of, but of course, I guess it's after her sort of peak pridefulness, because that, of course, occurred um, before the Second Age uh, during, the, uh, during the events uh, Feanor well, um, the, the, the first kinsling, that's what it is, yeah. The, the flaw of the elves is pride, the flaw of the humans is ambition, and the flaw of dwarves, I guess you could say, is greed, and the flaw of hobbits is their stomachs. So I you know, want I, I want Galadriel to have a degree of pride for her. I hate for her, you know, <laughs> and she kind of became more of a Mary Sue as Tolkien continued to work and tinker with her les- lessons. I... I hope they don't go in that direction, and I hope they give her flaws, give her missteps, give her, you know, key, you know, key character flaw. Like, you know, she's the greatest, you know, elf left. Why isn't she the high queen over everyone? What's why is it her nephew Gilgalad? You know, I think there's stuff that you can yeah. do. With her. Yeah, yeah, sure. Sounds great. But, yeah, you know, I mean, in the latest, and you know, to go back to the conversation about fighting and warriors, well. In the one of the latest versions Tolkien wrote of her, she actually actively fought against uh, Fionnur in the Kinslaying, and then sailed across the ocean in her own boat to continue to you know fight against him. And you know, so you know, I'm kind of like you know that's just I'm not sure I kind of like that. I'd kind of like it be more if she's tragic in a way where you know, sure she. <laughs> accidentally fought against those people but you know always held a grudge against uh Fionor, and if 
to some degree, she, even if she likes Celebrimber, she still has that familiar grudge against that house and he's trying to work to overcome that. I mean, there's a lot of interesting things you can do here. It just depends on what story they're trying to tell and how familiar they are with all the various versions and nuances that Tolkien wrote into everything. Because there's so much that you can infer and imagine based off of a single line that Tolkien wrote as part of a greater story. I think the final um, topic, one of the final topics that I think we should be talking about now, is actually one of the criticisms of Jackson, or one of them. It's a small criticism, but humour. We know Lenny, Sir Lenny Henry is involved. It may or may not be a humor, uh, a comedic or who knows, but how should Amazon tackle humour and jokes? Because you know in um, Jackson films, a lot of criticism was through dwarves. There are Bomba, he's Oh, he's he's big and round, but does he have to break that chair, etc. Stuff like that. And of course, humor was presented well with um at uh, Lewis Helms Deep with that stool scene when they were looking out at that the the mass of Orakai. But how should Amazon handle um humor? Should they use the same um way that Jackson treated the dwarves? This really ties into what we were saying before and even before we started recording this video. I think you can have comedy, it can't be too much comedy, and you throw that in with the violence and as Penguin has said before, uh, it just has to balance out and it can't be too much comedy and it has to be at exactly the right time and the right amount as well. And in my opinion, it should not be from the dwarves because especially in The Hobbit and a little bit in The Lord of the Rings from Gimli, there was just too much comedy, and all the dwarves were foolish, drunk Scots, and they were also very inconsiderate. They were just horrible people, pretty much, or dwarves, I should say. And they really had no depth because they were only, they were only comedy, and they had no character aside from that. And that was really their only purpose in Jackson's stories. What was it? I mean, it's it goes like this. Okay, so Gimli in like Gimli is mostly comedic, has a couple of moments around, but he's mostly a comic character. I like I like comic characters fine. And, then and the, wait, wait, wait! Disclaimer: Thorin is definitely an exception, as well as Feely and Keely. Also, like Balin, and like I would also say maybe even Dwalin. Like, there's a couple of characters that are done very well, and I would say that as as a dwarvish story. We kind of, I think the dwarves kind of had their time to shine in The Hobbit. I think it was a very dwarf-centric story. And I kind of like that. I like that it wasn't, um, you know, they they were kind of jerks sometimes. They were out for their own interests. They were putting a whole lot of other people in jeopardy. Um, Lake Town I like but that. it was a, but it was all played up for laughs. That's the thing. Oh, Especially that's, that's, in, that's my in Hobbiton and in Rivendell, the dwarves were. I I don't think they could have been much worse, in my opinion, because they were just comedy. It is true that in other places, dwarves such as Balin weren't, but we only really saw a serious Balin like one or two times throughout the trilogy, and other than that, he was either in the back or he was sort of lumped in with all the other dwarves as comedic relief. And like Dying Ironfoot, he was also comedic relief. Yeah. Of course, it wasn't even that. It was To me, it was just more random, but that's just me. Um, so I would definitely like to see some serious dwarves, kind of like Gimli, but 
I feel like Gimli was definitely less comedic relief, but he just wasn't developed. Jackson could have definitely developed him more. Well, but then again, movie, I see it... I see why he didn't, because if he did, that could sort of overcrowd the movie. You don't want five protagonists. Well, but he also, in the in the first movie, he was present for the second half of it. and Or excuse me, he was present in the first movie in the second half and uh, Two Towers and Return of the King. I cannot think of a single instance when one of Gimli's lines or one of his uh, presence in the scene was not used for comedic effect. Like as soon as he, as soon as I remember watching in theaters and I was younger and more mature then, but even I recognized that, okay, Gimli speaking again, it's going to be some kind of joke. And there we go. There's, there's a couple. I think there's one where he like disagrees with, um, um, Theoden, like he tells them all, oh, you know, these Urukai, their armor is is thick and their shields broad, and that's the one Gimli beat in the mm-hmm. in the two films, the later two films that I can remember that isn't really comedic. Mine um, is a good yeah. example of a comedic dwarf, very very good character, very serious minded. And as Penguin said a couple podcasts ago. That's just because Marion Pippin left and weren't able to be comedic relief anymore, which was, in my opinion, I think that the whole comedic relief thing was um, poorly played on Jackson's part because he pretty much always had to have comedic relief. And that he sort over- of I, ate away I too like many he, characters. I felt like he overdid the comedic relief in the, in the last two movies. And then in The Hobbit, well, in my opinion, the less said the better. But for me, I, I think Fellowship was, in my personal opinion, is by far the best out of all of them. And something I really didn't like about Marion Pippin is that in the beginning, they did not get the introduction they deserved as some of Frodo's friends, or really any introduction. They literally just ran into the plot. They ran into the storyline. And they had no backstory. And that's fine, because they were just comedic relief. But then in The Two Towers, when they were no longer comedic relief, to me it felt awkward because they had no backstory. It's like just pulling a rabbit out of a hat and then saying, hey, this is your character. Because so, it was just comedic relief beforehand. I mean, it almost seems weird to say this, but just jumping back to Amazon, Amazon should look more towards, in my opinion, Game of Thrones for the style of the narrative in question, uh, which will probably be Five minutes. Uh, off-putting to people. But... The difference between, say, this and Game of Thrones is, you know, instead of the uh, gratuitous nudity, sex scene, and violence that the show reveled in, uh, you know, Lord and Tolkien, all of that's, you know, politics, all of that stuff, it should be shown as counterproductive towards the what you're actually working to. Uh, politicking should just be shown for the fruitless exercise that it is, as opposed to Grave Thrones, which just reveled in the cynicism of the whole setting, and Lord the, and Tolkien, this should be shown for the waste that it is. Which is there was why... actually w- one author who said uh, fantasy is escapist, and Rawl held prisoners by all the struggles of this world, and we're all prisoners, and it's our job to bring as many people with us out of the quote-unquote prison as we can, and that's what fantasy is, and. I personally fundamentally disagree with that, um, but I think there is something that we can take out of that, and that is fantasy should be a sort of escape, and it should all be with, second, as Tolkien says, secondary belief, and it should not 
have a political purpose. If it is, if it does have a political purpose, then it's no longer fantasy. You can call it allegory, um, or I guess in some cases you can call it satire, but of course that has to be much more comedic. Yeah. So just to um, round up now, I'll ask a few more questions. So in your guys' opinions, not for us, but in the Tolkien fandom and community in general, may that be on Reddit, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, just the general fandom, what is... Um, what do you guys think the general public's biggest fear is about this show? I'd say the politicizing of this show. And I mean that term loosely, of course. Like, making characters black unduly, um, including sex, uh, nudity. And I think the least amount of people are worried about violence. But I, I see, I understand why people went there to be too much violence in it. And I, I think agree black with that. and nudity comes be... under its own subtopic with diversity. I think it's sex, nudity, then you have a different topic, holy, which is diversity, and then you have the um, fighting, etc. And I know for, and I know this can be specifically targeted at Hen and Penguin as well, because you both are primarily on um, the Lord of the Rings on Prime Reddit, which has over about 20,000 um members now what are the mo that the main things people keep on recurring to and the biggest fear do you guys think oh right now it's on the reddit is what comes up all the time i think it's primarily seems to be a few people doing that but it's the you know the black elves or the diversity for diversity sake kind of casting which you know i kind of roll my eyes at but, you know, it's also kind of the world we live in. And so it's one of those things I'm like, okay, I'm prepared, you know, prepared to accept that. Uh, I don't think nudity or sex has made a, has really reared up its head in a while. And frankly, I'm not opposed to that as long as it's shown in the right light and the right context. I mean, in the right context, it can be a way to show Numenor's moral decline within the moral framework that Tolkien provided. Now, if it's, you know, a bunch of elves getting together, you know, to shower together, well, that's some, that's a little something else that I'll have more of a problem with. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that. It's, uh, you're right. The diversity issue is quite pronounced on Reddit, I think. I mean, to be fair, it's we don't know anything. Yeah. We, do know, we do know, though, we've seen the cast and quite a few people, Amazon themselves and the casting calls them diverse people, and there's a lot of them, and there's no way that there's so many of these guys are all playing you know, Haradrim and Easterlings, there's just no way Yeah, totally, no way that at least some of them are going to have to be parts of the main narrative, they're going to have to be think in Numenor because we do have one of the roles which we've pinned down as being almost certainly a Numenorean queen, um, one of the roles in the casting from our very first discussion, was for a diverse woman. Um, and so I think they're going to play Numenor specifically as a kind of like, you know, exotic island kingdom. And use that as a kind of excuse but as a way to inject diversity into it it's not what Tolkien had imagined but you know I can kind of see it working but I yeah. believe that Ismail's right. role in the show will probably I think is going to be 
a main character and be the most controversial one at the same time. I can already tell from now that he is going to have an important part to play. But yeah, continue. Or not, <laughs> I'm joking. But just to um just wrap up, just to finish on some positivity. We'll start with Hen, then we go to Penguin and Talking Tube, so one after each other. I've tried this four times before podcast, it hasn't worked. Please go after each other. What end positivity? One thing that you are the thing you're most looking forward to from the show. Um like I said, I'm looking forward to kind of the politics of it, the kind of games of power that are going to happen between the characters. I think it's really, really interesting. We haven't really seen that before. Brings a whole new degree of kind of realism to it because it does make it a lot more like like historical movies, like medieval historical movies. Um, And uh, I also like... If you want to talk about positivity, the reason that I'm kind of the reason that I'm intrigued in the first place is that Amazon has chosen to tell this story, which is ambitious, and um, you know it's a good sign. I think the the ambition of it. It's uh, it could have done something much more easy early in the development. They were going to do Young Aragorn, and that would be fine. That's much more. It's a much more of a low hanging fruit. I think. They have chosen to do this. I think is a good sign. You know, I would love to see exactly how they came about with doing the second age. Because if I had to, if I had to pick ten years ago, oh, uh, they're going to do a long form adaptation of Tolkien material. I would have thought, okay, they're either going to remake Lord of the Rings or they're going to go into the Silmarillion. But the Second Age, the red-headed stepchild of uh, the Middle-earth setting, I mean, I would not have seen this, let alone $250 million just for the just to access the, you know, the Tolkien archives on it. Still baffles my mind. Not that, not that I'm complaining, but I'm still surprised at it. I think parts of it, part of it is a rights issue. I think they had some issue with the First Age. And, you know, they had considered to do something in the third age, but they decided to go a bit bigger. <laughs> so, yeah. My first thoughts were they were going to do Angmar, but no. Yeah. And um, I'm typically very skeptical, especially about the Amazon show, or at least I was skeptical to begin with. Uh, but I'm really, really happy about how we're how I think we're going to see Sauron. I'm really excited for that. I think that will be interesting and very, very entertaining. And I'm also going to be, um, regardless of how Jackson portrayed the dwarves, I'm going to be really, really excited to see how J.A. Bayona portrays the dwarves. And I guess um, he wouldn't necessarily be the one portraying the dwarves. It would be the writers. But either way, I'm really excited to see how we're going to see the dwarves. Um, Are they comedic relief still are they plot dwarves what are they and i think that's going to be really really exciting just like seeing sauron and just to wrap up my biggest positive is that i'm happy that the second age is a narrative and not a quest because i think in middle earth so far we have seen enough quests of course in the second age you you do have the end with the um battle of the last alliance and you've got the fall of numenor but this I believe there's a there's enough time to 
probably build around it, but not to the extent where you're having to add things in, which is the thing we talked about earlier with um just having like like for example that Jackson did with um adding his own things in there. So I don't think we need to add more stuff in, but I'm happy that we're set in a narrative and time period and, and that I wasn't able to work around that. This any last thoughts, anyone? Uh yeah. So um you just talked about adding things in and one thing I really liked about the Lord of the Rings trilogy is that it left out more things than it put in, which is also what I didn't like about The Hobbit. So I hope that, um, now I know they're going to have to make up a whole lot of stuff, but I hope on a grander scale, they leave more out than they put in. I know they're going to have to put in some main characters or twist them, um, give backstory and stuff that's not told in the canon, but I do hope that they leave more out rather than putting more in. Especially when it comes to plots. Anything from anyone else? Uh, I mean, by and large, I'm just excited about the potential of a foray into Middle Earth. I mean, I know how I think, and you know, I'm probably going to end up being disappointed in the final result. But you know, it's the potential of what you can do in such a in that setting is really exciting for me, and I've really enjoyed the discussion and the speculation both here and elsewhere. And Ken, anything else? Um, I agree. I think it's nice to have some more airtime in Middle Earth. We've had plenty, but uh, it's nice to have. I think also, oh, there's uh, the setting of the show is such that we're going to have visual opportunities that we've never had. I was talking about the narrative that it's going to be, you know, a political thing. There's also going to be like kinds of scenery that we haven't seen before, like the ocean, beach. You know, they're shooting on some of those kinds of locations. It would be great to see on the screen. And I just want to end with this. We have been recording for an hour and 13 minutes, and it looks like Miss Nikki Vangen is now online, which is always great. But of course, she wasn't able to join us for. Um, today's podcast, but I would, but she will totally be on the next one. But I'd like to thank, thank you first of all to um, thank you, Ken Penguin and Galifin. Yeah, Thanks great for to having be us. on here. It was a lot of fun. Really good discussion as always, and we will be doing more. So look out for that soon. And I'll thank everybody who sticks all the way to the end. I know I can see there's some people that do. So really thank you to everyone who does. And until the next podcast, my friends, goodbye.